talking and it don't make sense Tell me what it's all about The truth is stranger the closer you get To the who, what, where, when, how Absurd is the word, guess what I heard Absurd is the word, guess what I heard Guess what I heard Guess what I heard Hey guys, this is Know What I Heard. I'm Jamie, and this episode is about vaccines. Since the beginning of this podcast, I've wanted to do an episode on vaccinations, specifically talking to parents about their opinions on vaccines and their decisions in regards to vaccination for their children. So I reached out to two of my friends who I know have opposite opinions regarding vaccines And because it's such an intense topic, I wanted to do it in a way that felt fair and that I wasn't trying to sway the conversation in a certain direction. I didn't want my opinion regarding vaccinations to come into play because I'm not a parent and honestly, I'm fortunate enough that I've never had to make health decisions for another human being. And I can't imagine just the weight and responsibility that that position carries. So because of that, this episode is actually structured a little bit differently. Basically, I ask these two moms 11 questions. I ask them the exact same questions, no follow-ups. I just ask the question, let them answer, and we rolled on to the next one. And because it's such a big topic and I talked with two people There was a lot of conversation, so I ended up breaking this episode up into two parts. So this is part number one. Regardless of where your views fall, I just want to be very clear that these women are both incredible mothers. I know that they've done a ton of research regarding vaccines, and I have no doubt that the decisions that they made for their families were made with the best of intentions for their children and their health. So anyway, part one, vaccines, two moms, here we go. Do you think vaccines improve the overall health of the public? No, I do not. Next question. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just going to drop a bomb and then walk away from it. Like, I'll take the most controversial and polarizing health topics for 600, Alex. Um, No. I mean, that's the most direct and simple way for me to answer that question. Obviously, that is a position that is outside of the mainstream thinking on vaccines. I really didn't pursue this road of researching vaccines and kind of overhauling what I thought I knew about them or what my position was. It was part of a bigger paradigm shift that was happening for me in my life that was really kind of focused on not just like educating myself on my own health and well-being, but obviously as a mother, I wanted to learn more about the things we were bringing into our home. But I think everybody is kind of at least somewhat familiar with this idea that like our world is really toxic and everything from like the air that we're breathing to the food that we're eating to the water that we're drinking to the lotions and and just all of our household items, you know, there's there's a lot of information that hasn't always been widely known about 
those products having ingredients that can do some real long-term harm to people. The overall wider message that we get about vaccines is that they're safe and that they're effective and that they're necessary um, to maintain public health. For me, when I dug into that, I not only started really questioning that those factors, but I was finding a lot of evidence to the contrary. You know, the message is, you know, vaccines are largely safe. They're effective. They're necessary. You know, this notion that like vaccines saved us from these rampant communicable diseases. So I started just looking at like historic, the history of diseases, mortality, morbidity, like, and what I found was not evidence really to support that. What I found was that in almost every case of diseases that we administer vaccines for, the rate of those diseases was declining rapidly or at the lowest it had ever been at the time that the vaccine was kind of introduced and adopted, you know, in the Western world. So again, I was like, well, okay, that's not really lining up. You know, I started, I started to gather this foundational thinking that like the way that we vaccinate, the rate at which we vaccinate, and when we start our vaccine schedule for kiddos, it started to make sense to me that it like, that this was actually causing a lot of immune system dysfunction and immune system dysregulation. And I was finding evidence to support that. It's just like, what are we doing that is setting our body up to be ill-equipped to have adequate immune function, I guess. So, and not just chronic illnesses, you know, developmental disorders, neurodevelopmental disorders. I mean, anyone who is paying attention hopefully understands that the rates of diagnosed developmental disorders and neurodevelopmental disorders in pediatric populations is skyrocketing in a way that should uh, motivate all of us to be looking at this and asking some tough questions about if there are ways that we are harming children's immune function. And then the last area that I think really impacted me that I started looking at is kind of just what I would call the politics of vaccines. We all know that like financial conflicts of interest can affect ethics. That's why we all think checks and balances is a great idea, right? So so what I was finding in kind of the politics of vaccines and, and legislation about vaccines, you know, the, the pharmaceutical companies are the largest lobby machine in our federal government. That's worth looking at. That's worth considering, you know, when the manufacturers of certain medications have a lot of power in our government. I think we all need to be looking at that with a critical eye. And the second part of that is in 1986... President Reagan passed legislation that basically took the liability for vaccine adverse reactions, injuries, and deaths. They took that from the manufacturers of the vaccines and put that liability on the federal government. You know, in the 80s, children were getting injured at a pretty alarming rate by vaccination to the point where it wasn't financially beneficial for the pharmaceutical companies to continue to make these products. My takeaway was the federal government was willing to take on that liability to continue their relationship between, you know, public health and pharmaceutical companies by way of vaccines. That's really significant, I think, for everybody to kind of realize. And, you know, again, checks and balances. But there essentially are no checks and balances with pharmaceutical companies for vaccines. There is much more evidence of harm than the larger conversation acknowledges. I've seen ample evidence that they're not as safe as they're purported to be. They're not as effective as they're purported to be. 
And then by educating myself on the immune system, on how to keep and support a healthy immune system, I feel really confident that they're not necessary for people to maintain health and wellness. And actually, dare I say, they may be hindering our ability to stay healthy and well by dysregulating our immune system. So I don't think vaccines give us what we think they give us, and I think they're hurting us more than we know. Yeah, I do. I think that, well, let's just go with like a basic, you know, illness, measles. Okay. In 1992, that was the highest recorded amount of people in the U.S. who got the measles. From that point on, in 2000, it was deemed eliminated. Okay. So our vaccines overall for the health of our community, state, country, world, Absolutely. I think that that's a perfect example of that. You know, unfortunately, now we're back up to having lots of cases of measles because of people who are scared to vaccinate. So yes, absolutely. I think it uh, makes a huge difference in the overall health of everyone, you know, worldly. If vaccines aren't required for children... Do you think public health will be endangered? I do. I really do. I know that I have people in my lives, in my lives, in my life who, um, you know, think that they need to stretch out vaccine dates and, you know, times that they get it with their children and all this stuff. But, you know, I also have people who are immune compromised. So let's say we say everybody can go to school and it doesn't matter if you're vaccinated, you know, whatever. Well, what about the kid who has, you know, underlying health conditions or obvious health conditions? And we need to protect those children. So for children getting vaccines, in my opinion, it's a no brainer, right? Like if the child goes in a car, you're going to buckle them up. You're not going to anticipate that you're going to be in a car accident, but you buckle them up because you want to make sure that they're safe. And then if you're in a position where you have the opportunity to keep your kids safe, in my mind, I don't really understand why you would choose not to do that. You're putting, you know, those people who are at higher risk who can't get the vaccine for whatever reason. Yeah, I think that you're putting everybody at higher risk because, you know, you think about the way viruses or diseases, whatever, work, and they're constantly mutating. I mean, we see this every year in the flu vaccine and, you know, they have to alter it a little bit. And now with the COVID vaccine, you know, we've got new variants out. So if I have a choice where I can help, you know, vaccinate my child, I think that, yes, absolutely, the overall health of people are going to be hugely impacted, you know, for those people who can't take the vaccine. No, I do not. Unvaccinated pose no risk to the vaccinated. I kind of think that's a straw man argument. I think that that argument is propelled by this notion of vaccine-induced herd immunity. I think that's a big misdirection. I think that there's this notion that unvaccinated children or partially vaccinated children or unvaccinated adults, partially vaccinated adults, which is a really interesting concept because we're all probably in that category because most of us haven't had any boosters since childhood or maybe high school or college. But anyway, 
I think that notion is not founded in evidence. I don't think it's supported by evidence. Many of the diseases or infections that you'll find vaccines for on the recommended list, you know, if you start digging, again, just researching the vaccines, I talked about looking at vaccine ingredients, and you're going to find that on the blood and biologics page for the FDA. There's a vaccines portion where it says that. But another great area for people to look at that nobody ever told me to look at was the insert. Every pharmaceutical comes with an insert. We rarely read them. And so that comes to you by way, like if if you go into the pediatrician's office for a well child check and your child is due to get shots, they're going to give you what they call a vaccine information sheet. That is not the insert. So the reason that I mention the insert is I think it can be dense. There's a lot of science in there. It's good to take a look at that, but that's where you're maybe going to see the clinical data behind the licensing of the vaccine. And so again, when I started looking at a lot of these, you know, like the inactivated polio virus vaccine. Um, It doesn't prevent transmission. Okay, well, I kind of thought that was the point of getting it. Or like tetanus, which tetanus isn't a contagious disease. You know, the acellular pertussis vaccine and the FDA, I think, even issued this warning. You know, it's not capable of preventing colonization and transmission. You know, these don't even purport to prevent transmission. Does that mean that someone who doesn't have it is more likely to spread it. It doesn't seem that way from this science. And then I think the other part of that is when I kind of became aware of these dueling theories about disease and how it's spread, or I guess infection would be um, a more accurate way to say that. So there's germ theory and there's terrain theory, right? So I think it was Pasteur, Louis Pasteur, who said, you know, the, the germ is nothing. The terrain is everything. And what he meant by that is The number one variable that's going to determine if you contract a virus and how your immune system handles that virus is the functioning level of your immune system, right? How is your terrain? Is your terrain supported? Is it hardy? Is it healthy? Are you supporting it naturally? You know, those are the things that really are the factors that determine if you get sick. We've all, you know, maybe gone to a gathering and somebody had a cold You know, some people get it and some people don't. I do think that the quality and the constitution of your immune system, which really is your immune brain gut axis, is the number one variable and determine how your body weathers illness. To me, there's a lot of evidence that these injections are dysregulating your immune function. It doesn't make sense to me that that would somehow strengthen you to be able to fight it more. I get the simplistic explanation. Just the other day, right? We're in the van and my my kids like to watch Magic School Bus. It was like an episode on vaccination. And it was like how vaccines work, right? Like you get an injection of a live or an attenuated or a dead virus. And, you know, it stimulates your body to create the antibodies. And then you've got your soldiers and then those marching soldiers. You know, when you really encounter that illness in the wild, you're already going to have the prepared soldiers to fight it. Well, so that's not the whole story. (laughs) You know, there, there are live or partially live or attenuated, I think is, is the correct word or dead viruses in these injections, but there's also a lot of other things, you know, there's adjuvants and excipients 
and stabilizers and emulsifiers and a lot of things that in other conversations, in a different context, we talk about the harm that they can cause biologically. It wasn't adding up to me that injecting things that could damage or dysregulate your immune system was going to make your immune system better at fighting whatever you encountered. But no, I don't think the unvaccinated pose a risk to the vaccinated. Oh, one other thing I want to say about your question, because the wording you use is really interesting, and I think it's really common. You said if vaccines aren't required. One of the things I also learned is if we're talking in terms of pediatrics, it's a recommended schedule. It's not required. And there are exemptions available to families and parents and people who would like to forego vaccination. Again, that was not something that anyone had ever explained to me. I just thought that that was kind of misleading when I realized that because I would see things like no shots, no school, or I think at that time my oldest was in daycare. And of course, you know, I was under the impression he had to have shots to go there. And so that was just, that was a learning moment for me. And also kind of one of those head scratcher moments of like, why didn't anybody explain this to me? So that's kind of where I stand on that. What are the risks associated with vaccines and do they outweigh the benefits? Yeah, so yeah, let's talk about the risks. Okay, so one of the things that obviously I think a lot of people are concerned about, autism. My kid's going to get autism, for example, if I give them these vaccines. And if that's a valid risk in your mind, in my opinion, I would rather have my child become someone who has a different processing order in their head, autism, than risk my child getting measles or whatever the case is. I think that um, are there challenges that come with, you know, if you are diagnosed, you know, autistic or whatever, obviously, but Again, I'm not one of those people that believe that vaccines causes autism or other things like that. So I don't understand why, if you do believe that, why you would choose to risk autism versus death. Like that's, that's the line that I see. Again, I, I don't think that, but I do know there are people who do. And, you know, wrapping my head around, well, God, I'd rather have my kid have autism. If that's a valid concern, then, you know, watch them deteriorate because I chose not to get them vaccinated. The benefits, I think, are just obvious in the sense that, you know, you get a virus, measles, mumps, rubella, polio, you're going to get really sick. You might die. You're going to have terrible possible long-term effects, whatever the case is. You get the vaccine, you're able to get the antibodies, and you don't get sick. Like to me, it all just seems like it's pretty obvious and, and logical. But so for me, I should say like risks versus benefits. I don't, I consider that the risk, even if it's the, you know, I've heard some people saying, you know, oh, they got the second COVID shot and they got Bell's palsy. Okay, guess what? 
Bell's palsy can go away. Obviously, it you know can stay for a very long time, but it also goes away. And I would rather have that than possibly be on a vent. So for me, the risk versus benefit factor is is kind of a no brainer. You know, it's just you know we can talk about what people think. What's in the vaccine? We have to risk putting this stuff into our body um, that we don't know what it's going to do to us or whatever. And does that out, outweigh, um, you know, the benefit? Well, first of all, we're not talking about currently, you know, our vaccines are not um, just, you know, in the old wooden shed of, you know, Dr. Smith figuring out that, you know, we can grow penicillin on bread. This isn't that we are so far advanced, right? And I I keep hearing, I've heard people say, especially with the COVID vaccine coming out, oh, you know, we don't know what we're putting in our body. And what if it's going to make our children sterile or, you know, I I just, I don't know. And I, I agree, we don't know. However, I also know that you know, the, the way that we're doing vaccines now is completely different than the way we did vaccines in the past. And I think a lot of fear comes from those stories that people heard from, you know, well, when they were developing the polio vaccine, you know, people were dying and people were becoming, you know, immobile and, and all this stuff. And the reality to that is vaccines have come so far the way they figured out the COVID vaccine is instrumental in the way that that now they're looking into the way they're doing the cancer vaccine, which is what they're hoping that that's going to be or curing cancer. And that's amazing. So I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but the point is in my mind, you know, ingredients that we're going to put into our vaccines now, we have a lot more, um, one, scientific research, we have, you know, more information. Um, so let's, for example, take formaldehyde. Formaldehyde is, is in a lot of the vaccines. That's terrifying, right? If, if you just say to somebody, you know, there's formaldehyde in there and there's thermosil and there's this and there's that, that sounds really scary. But what people don't realize is that our bodies already have formaldehyde in it. We have way more formaldehyde in our body already than they're going to give us when we give it, you know, when we get our vaccine. Um, So I think there's also this lack of education in and fear that the risk versus benefits really gets lost kind of in the mix of it. And so what I'll say is, you know, Bottom line, I absolutely think that the risks are not valid. I mean, to me, um, because I think that the benefits from it are that I'm going to live, my kid's going to live, you know, I I don't have to worry about what's going to happen if my kid gets not vaccinated. And then, of course, he's not going to get measles. It's eradicated. Oh, guess what? Well, um, Mike, I couldn't vaccinate my kid because he's, you know, immunocompromised. And now he has measles because you decided you didn't get your kid vaccinated because it didn't fit with your beliefs. I get it. However, we really got to look at the bigger picture here. And I think it is extremely selfish for people not to vaccinate their children. So in my opinion, the risks are not even an option. I think that the benefit is obvious. So I think that's kind of like a two-tier question. 
And what I mean by that is I would say there's general risks associated with vaccination. And so an example of that would be many of the vaccines on the pediatric schedule contain aluminum adjuvants. And just let me do a quick side note because I didn't know this, so maybe other people don't either. So I kind of mentioned there were different types of vaccines. There's live virus, attenuated viruses, or what they would consider a dead virus. So a live virus vaccine, the idea is that that vaccine is going to stimulate your immune system because there's a little bit of that live virus in there, right? So the idea with, you know, a vaccine that doesn't contain a live virus, and we'll just say, we'll just take the DTaP diphtheria, tetanus, acellular pertussis, just in case nobody is aware, that's a vaccine that they're going to offer to a pregnant woman. That's a vaccine that they're going to want to give your child once pretty quickly after they're born within those first two months. And then the child's going to have two more boosters of that in the first year. So the DTaP vaccine, because it does not have live viruses, so those vaccines have to have what's called an adjuvant. It's something to stimulate the immune system, right? to create that immune response. But the thing is, aluminum is a neurotoxin, and that's really not debatable. I mean, that's pretty well established. So again, there's these incongruent ideas of it's going to help the immune system to inject a neurotoxin. So I think some of the discussion about the dosing and that this is only trace amounts of aluminum, I really don't think that that negates the harm because what the research shows is that when aluminum is injected, it's kind of biopersistent. And what that means is it gets kind of stuck in your tissues and in your body in different organs or different systems. It doesn't clear from your body the way that it does because we come in contact with aluminum in many different ways in our lives. There's Aluminum in a breast milk. There's a good example. You know, I saw that conversation a lot. Like, oh, well, there's more aluminum in your breast milk than there is in that DTaP vaccine. Okay, so that kind of prompted me to educate myself on the difference between ingestion and injection. Those are two completely different biological mechanisms with two completely different outcomes. Your digestive system is equipped to identify toxins and metals like aluminum and and has pathways to uh, remove those things from your body. So that's not the same as injecting. Like I said, the research I think is pretty clear that that when you inject aluminum, it kind of hangs around. So, you know, aluminum has been linked to neurocognitive disorders, seizures, autoimmune issues, neurodevelopmental disorders, you know, so that's a really big deal. And that's just one ingredient, you know, that's not just aluminum. It's, it's, there's formaldehyde in vaccines. Formaldehyde is a known carcinogen. Again, I think it would be pretty hard to debate that. So then here we are again with these incongruent ideas of like what keeps us healthy. Injecting neurotoxins and carcinogens into babies, to me, is not congruent with this idea of strengthening that immune, brain, gut axis. So general risks with vaccines have a lot to do with the ingredients and what can happen to different people when you inject them. But I think that the other level of that is individual risks. And that's more complex. And that's, I think, the part that is really hard for us to piece and parcel through because some people, you know, if you believe this, which I do wholeheartedly, 
I've heard the stories and I hold space for them. Some children, some people can experience severe adverse reactions to vaccination, severe injury caused by vaccination, and sometimes death. And then some people don't have those reactions. Well, I think that's probably more along the lines of genetics and what our individual risk is. So it's important to kind of understand that there is this notion of like bio-individuality. It is not strange to us that some people can take certain medications, you know, that either that medication works for them or even if it doesn't work for them, they don't necessarily have an adverse reaction to it. And then for some people, that's not the case. They can take that medication and they can have a life-threatening adverse reaction. So that's not something that we have a hard time accepting or understanding, but for when we talk about vaccine. When you look at the recommended pediatric schedule, we're jumping into that on day one of life. How do we know the risk profile, the individual genetic risk profile for that baby, that person, before we administer that first vaccine? We don't. And why wouldn't we want to know that? Why wouldn't we want to individualize that a little bit? That was a big light bulb moment for me. It was kind of like understanding that for some people, um, injection of the vaccine ingredients individually or collectively or the timing, you know, for some people, those injections can trigger a very serious health event. They can trigger a chronic health issue that is going to take days, months, or even years to come to the surface. And again, I believe this because of the nuanced biological mechanisms of vaccines and also this idea that like we all have a different genetic profile and we all have a different risk profile and uh, we're not doing anything that I know of Unless we're on the back end, unless somebody's already been severely injured, then I, then I know that maybe they've been able to find avenues to start investigating this more in the reverse. But on the front end, we're not being mindful to understand this about children before we are launching them into the cumulative pediatric vaccine schedule as it stands today, which is extremely aggressive. <laughs> I don't think that's probably the best way to get a baseline on a kiddo's needs and functionings is to inject them with something that could possibly cause immune dysregulation or other systemic issues pretty much as soon as they're born. I would urge anyone and everyone to kind of check out VAERS. VAERS is a vaccine adverse events reporting system that is maintained by the Department of Health and Human Services. Just look through that for a while and just see the different adverse events and um, negative effects that people have experienced. And it, you know, if this is a new topic to you or this is something that you um, haven't ever thought of about this way, that's kind of a good place to start. And it's also worth mentioning there's a lot of good research out there that kind of concludes that vaccine adverse events, vaccine injury, and vaccine death are severely underreported. We're talking like probably 10% or less. So when you're looking at those types of snapshots, it's good to keep in mind that some experts and researchers would say that is literally just a very small percentage of the bigger picture. You know, this notion that vaccine injury is one in a million is absurd. And it's not supported by the evidence. And the research itself can help you explore that more. 
Another huge area of illumination for me was just listening to families, listening to people, listening to parents, listening to stories of vaccine injury, and, you know, seeing very similar elements to these stories and seeing the pain and anguish and um, destruction that this has done to many, many lives. I definitely think the risks outweigh the benefits because I'm not solidly in the camp that artificial stimulation of the immune system has really any benefits long-term. Regarding health, what's more important to you, individual rights or the collaborative good? Both of those things are very important to me, but I do not believe that they are mutually exclusive. Medical freedom, the choice to choose what medical interventions are best for you personally or as a parent, which medical interventions or options are best for your children, is best for the collective good. And part of that is, you know, when we were talking about risks associated with vaccines, there are individual risks, right? There are things that can be harmful to us individually because of our genetic makeup, because of our predisposition, because of, of our health issues, you know? So I kind of am not buying this notion that it's one or the other, that you either are this reckless, selfish person who doesn't want to participate in the good of public health versus, you know, somebody who's going to do what they're told is best for public health. I kind of am opting out of that because, again, I don't think it's the whole picture. I think that informed consent, let's just side note for a minute, what is informed consent? Informed consent is a Venn diagram. We all love a Venn diagram. What's on that Venn diagram? Well, it's what does the research say? Okay, so we all need to do our homework there. It's what is your healthcare provider's clinical experience? So hopefully we're all in relationships with healthcare providers and professionals who help support us on our health journeys, that we have a good relationship and that we trust them. And so that's the part where we say to them, what have you seen? What has been your experience with your clients? And we add some value to that. And then the third part of that Venn diagram is your personal values, your personal beliefs, your personal ethics, your personal choices. And again, this this is not a new concept. We're all aware that, you know, some of us have different ethics when it comes to medical choices and beyond, and we want to make room for that. So yeah, I think that informed consent is the benchmark of ethical medicine. And so in that sense, personal choice with regards to medical rights is for the collective good because we're all coming from our own personal circumstance and situation. So that's tricky. Individual rights versus the good of everyone. Yeah. So this this is obviously like a little bit political and I when it comes to vaccines I believe that I, I do believe that everyone has rights okay individually so I get that as an adult you would like to make the choice for your own body that you would not want to get vaccinated however this tricky little muddy line of I'm the adult and parent of this child who does not get to make choices for himself or herself legally, I have to um, make those decisions. And the muddiness kind of comes up for me because we do make um, choices for our children every day. 
And the government makes choices for us every day and our children every day. And if we say, as a parent, you can choose to do what you want to do, you know, with your kid, obviously, but we don't do that, right? Because if we know that there's a child who's being neglected or there's a child who's just you know, doesn't have enough food or that mom and dad aren't around very much or whatever, then those parents' rights get taken away, right? Because the good of the child is in jeopardy. So where do we find this fine line of, well, this is part of your child's health. So is that different from neglect or lack of food or you know, that kind of stuff, because we're talking about it in a way, we're talking about the same issue. We're talking about the health and well-being of your, of children and the success of our country, of our vaccine program. Um, you know, so, so it's really hard. And I guess that's why I'm saying like, you know, the slippery slope gets super muddy because I do want to kind of understand better what, parents who are firm believers that they don't believe in vaccines or for why or whatever, I I feel like that is their passion. And um, this kind of goes in a different direction a little bit too. But if you're trying to protect your child from vaccines and, and all the whatever, I don't know what the end game is. I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out, right? Like, is your end game that you just want to keep your child and your family um, safe from putting things in your body that you are on, you know, that could do certain things. I mean, I appreciate that as an individual, right? But I also think that, you know, you, there is just this really fine line where, you know, you have to look at what is important um, and when we look at the health and safety of our children, and do we need to require them to have vaccines to go to school? Well, we do, unless, of course, you can get some sort of waiver, which, you know, is pretty easy to get. You can either get it from your doctor, your religious reasons, which I don't think is probably that difficult to get. But my point is, is that I think that you, I, everyone has our individual rights, but also, you know, it's almost like, yeah, but for the collective good, there has to be a sacrifice for everyone. Right. And I don't mean like you have to have a vaccine. That's your sacrifice for the the good of our country, but it almost is that kind of mentality where it's like, you know, what is your end game if, um, are you just relying on everybody else to get vaccinated and you're just like reaping the benefit of herd, um, you know, immunity in some way, even though we know that we can say that herd immunity is great and works and it does. But on the other side of that, you know, we've had a measles vaccine for very long time and it should have been eliminated. And then there were so many people that weren't getting vaccinated that now it's back. All right. Well, there's that fine line again on our, do we allow these, you know, individual rights to compromise the good of the general public? You know, we're out here now in COVID and, 
at one point, I think probably all the states, well, not all, but most of the states were mandatory masks, right? You had to wear a mask. You can be anti-vax, you can be anti-mask, you can be whatever. The fact of the matter is we were in a pandemic, in an, an emergency situation in our country, and the government said, too bad, put a dang mask on. So at what point do we get to with vaccines like that? I don't know. I don't know. But I do think that there is this, and I think it's very muddy, but would I prefer that the individual rights of people (laughs) don't get to choose vaccines, whether or not you get them for your children, it's kind of like in that um, realm for me. I kind of do. I'm kind of in that camp only because I also have friends who have children who are so immunocompromised that they have a hard time leaving the house in general. So God forbid they come in contact with a child who's unvaccinated and, you know, for something like measles, and then they don't realize that they have it. And, and then that's it. Her kid's dead. There's no coming back from that. Those little things, you know, where I'm like, all right, well, where do we find that fine line and where we can say, no, you know, we're going to say you can't leave your kid home for 24 hours by themselves when they're six years old, you know, that we're going to take the kid away from you. Well, then do you get to say, look, you have a responsibility as this child's parent to keep them safe and to keep them well. And you're not doing your job if you don't do that. I think that that's you know, something worth exploring more, but I'm not sure that we'll ever really be able to come to that decision because, you know, it's just, well, we know everybody, nobody wants people to step on their individual rights, but you know, at the same time, can I just throw in here that, you know, you walk up to a store and it's like no shoes, no shirt, no service. What do you do? You go put a shirt on, you put some shoes on, you know, and you get your service, right? These are like basic things that we do to work as a community, to work as a country. And nobody questions it. It's just like, yeah, that's what we do. I I don't think that that's the government or people trying to control us. I think that that's just like basic life skills. And so I kind of feel like this is the same thing. So I definitely think that for the overall good of people, that vaccines should be something that is required. And I have to say, I've kind of like never really committed to that sentence before. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, when we put that in perspective of all the other things and how we keep our, our family safe and healthy, well, that that's probably got to be part of it unless you have a valid reason, you know, medical reason that you can't, you know, vaccinate for some reason. And then you know what? That really sucks because not vaccinating your kids, there's a lot of things that come along with that, you know? So what do you do when it's flu season? Do you keep your kid home? Do you not go to the grocery store? Because every time you go out, you come home and bring those germs back So what do you do then when you have these moments or a pandemic? God knows no one in their right mind thought that we would be ending up in a pandemic in our lifetime. And yet here we are where people who are not immunocompromised are inside their house all the time. You don't vaccinate your children or your family. What does that mean? The isolation that's got to occur to keep your family safe. I mean, that's, that's pretty intense. 
And what you're telling me is not getting vaccinated is either just your belief is so strong um, that it outweighs, you know, the the isolation of your child or the illness that your child, how sick your child is going to get. I'd also really be interested um, to know people who aren't getting vaccinated or aren't vaccinating their children, were they vaccinated as children? Um, so that's just an interesting little side note that I'm, I'm curious about because I think that you are really implementing a lot of seclusion on your family's part if you choose not to vaccinate. Are you concerned about the number of vaccines given to children, particularly with the increased schedule? Yes. Talked about the ingredients of vaccines. I've talked about the aggressive cumulative schedule uh, that's recommended for children through the pediatric recommended schedule. And I want to say that schedule birth to 18 now is up to like 74 doses. So it's a lot. It's a lot. And in that first year of life, babies are getting shots very frequently. They're getting shots every time they're going to the doctor for a well visit. And so there's this notion, which I think the evidence certainly supports, this idea of too many too soon definitely has a foundation in the evidence. Like many other things, when babies are born, not all of their systems are fully developed as they will be. It's not a surprise to us that babies are going through developmental stages from the time they're in utero to the rest of their lives. But particularly if we just want to look at that first year, you know, where the baby is getting a hepatitis B injection on day one of life. They're born in a hospital. They're getting a round of shots at that two-month appointment, and then another round of shots at that four-month, and then maybe another round of shots at that six-month appointment, you know, and then at 12 to 15 months, they're getting another round of shots, and they get their first dose of Y-virus vaccine, so that would be like measles, mumps, rubella. You know, there's a lot of good science out there that says their immune systems are not developed enough to be able to amount the immune response that's going to provide lasting protection. Okay, so why are we doing it? Why are we exposing infants developing immune systems to ingredients like aluminum and mercury in the form of thimerosal, which is still in the multi-dose vials of the flu shot? Just to quickly name off a couple of more ingredients, formaldehyde, which is a known carcinogen, MSG, polysorbate 80, tween 20. These are emulsifiers, right? Foreign human DNA, foreign animal DNA. Again, these were not things that anybody ever said, hey, did you know this isn't a vaccine? So we're exposing an infant immune system that's not developed and not capable of mounting a lasting the type of immune response that provides lasting protection. And we're doing it over and over and over again, even though we know aluminum is a neurotoxin, even though we know formaldehyde is a carcinogen. I'm extremely concerned about that. I think that every injection has the potential to do harm. And I think for genetically susceptible infants, which we don't know because we don't do a risk profile before we give them that first hep B injection, it varies. And so I think we're really doing a huge disservice to the developing immune system, and we are exposing babies unnecessarily, expecting their immune systems to do things that they aren't able to do yet. I'm extremely concerned about that. 
learning about the blood-brain barrier, right? I didn't know what that was. I had never heard of that. But our bodies are amazing. And when you're born, the blood-brain barrier, which is basically the mechanism that protects your brain from toxins, is more permeable when you're little. And then kind of becomes more, has more fortitude, maybe in between that like three-year to five-year range. So again, why would we be exposing infants to potentially harmful ingredients repeatedly when their immune system can't really do what we're trying to get it to do yet. And they are, by way of brain development, they're more susceptible to being injured by these ingredients that, again, the research tells us are biopersistent. They're not hanging out. They're not going anywhere. They're going to our muscles. They're going to the brain. They're going to places that are really problematic and causing a lot of problems. And the schedule continues to increase, yet the manufacturers of these products carry no liability. What is your incentive to make sure your product is safe if you're not carrying the liability when someone is injured or killed by it? That's not a hard question. And I think if we take that question out of the context of vaccines, I think everybody would kind of have the same answer. But for some reason, we put a lot of these notions that we would say are common knowledge or, or common sense in other contexts, and we somehow don't apply those to the theories of vaccination. Mm. Um, no, <laughs> I'm not. I'll tell you why, too. Um, I, I, I also will preface this by saying that, you know, when this happened with the increase of vaccines, and how many your children had to get. I do remember people being like, well, that's it. We've got to, you know, you got to find out we're going to delay the schedule and um, we'll, you know, we'll change it. And, or, you know, I don't believe in doing those all as newborns. We're going to, you know, we'll get whatever. I do not agree with that at all. Uh, You know, if you think about what is your child, your body, a newborn baby, whatever, every single day, our bodies are bombarded with thousands of germs, bombarded every day, okay? And our body, unbeknownst to us, while we go on and do our thing, is constantly fighting those germs and creating antibodies to all these little things, right? So we get seven injections in 1980. Okay, guess what? That day you may have gotten seven injections, you fought off like a thousand other 800, 1500 other germs too. And the difference is those germs were full force because they weren't weakened. The ones that you get in your shot, they're weakened. So your body doesn't even have to fight nearly as hard for those, right? That they do on an everyday basis when they are when they're they're dealing with every single time you walk into a room and somebody breathed right in front of you know the time that you walked in um or they sneezed or they coughed and you didn't know they did and you just breathed it in i mean the amount of germs that your body is constantly fighting off the number of vaccines that you get has no effect on your body and the only thing that it does is says wake up antigens let's make these antibodies And you might feel like crap for a little bit. Great. You know what that means? That means it's working. It means your body is creating the antibodies and it's working. So congratulations. Now you're going to get to be healthy. You know, I don't think that it's even negotiable to compare the amount of vaccines that you get in a day or on the schedule 
to being, you know, overloading the system or whatever, because the reality is, is that if only you could see, you know, like, could we walk around with like a black light and like some of that, like, you know, um, detective dust, like all day to like, see all the germs that we come in contact with, because then I think people (laughs) might be like, oh, heck, sign me up for a vaccine. So I don't have to fight that. I didn't realize, you know, I think that the number of vaccines that one might receive on the schedule, you know, that's set up for children is just nothing in comparison to what you are faced with every single day. Um, so it's not at all a concern for me. And I have to say that I do put some blind faith in um, the medical profession. And the reason why I do this is because I do feel like, you know, look at the polio vaccine when it was first, you know, made and what what happened, you know, all these people got sick and Um, It was really scary and, you know, all these terrible horror stories. Okay, well, fast forward now to to 2021. And, you know, I I guess I have a little sense of some people may think false security in our medical system. But the reality is I really do trust that our doctors and government are not actually trying to, like, just pump us full of crap that's really bad for our bodies. I mean, like, what's the benefit in that, right? You, you're going to um, increase healthcare. You're going to need more doctors. You know, we're going to have more deaths. I mean, that, it's just the end game there just doesn't make sense to me, right? So I, I do put a blind faith of some into our medical professionals and the system that they've set up and the schedule that they've set up. I do believe that they've done it for a reason with research behind it. I don't think that they're just going, you know, let's pick, um, you know, at the age of two, we're going to do these just because no, I, I, I don't believe that. I do believe that there is inherently a push for our government health department to have healthy communities because the benefits of that are way outweigh the risks. So I don't think that they're putting stuff in our vaccines to make us, you know, have some sort of uh, whatever. I don't know. They're not going to make us barren. I don't know. It's just, I don't think that it's um, a conspiracy of some sort. I think that it's set up for a reason. And I believe that it sucks that people have to get so many vaccines. But guess what? Here's what's really cool. In 1980, when we were only getting seven vaccines, that's because we didn't hadn't developed the other ones, right? So how cool. That means we get to be healthier. That means our science is advancing, and it means our bodies don't have to work as hard on fighting off those thousands of germs that we come in contact with every day because science and doctors and these really smart people have figured out a way to have us not have to do that. So yeah, sign me up for my 50 vaccines. I guess that's where we're going. Okay. It means I don't have to be that ill. That's good with me. So I'm on board for that. Thank you guys so much for listening. Go check out part two of the vaccines episode. Also, 
take a quick break, maybe go to wherever you listen to your podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe to know what I heard. That would be cool. Also, just text a friend and tell them about it. They'll love it. They'll really appreciate it. Um, But anyway, seriously, the ratings and the reviews are what really help get new audience members, which is the only way this podcast is going to grow and the only way that we're going to be able to keep doing it. So... If you haven't already liked the Facebook page, please check it out at Know What I Heard Podcast. Follow us on Instagram. If you have any questions, comments, show ideas, anything at all, send me an email at knowwhatiheard at gmail.com. And uh, stay safe, stay healthy, take it easy, keep it real. And until next time, hey, know what I heard? <laughs>